Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. All right, if you have your Bible, open your Bible up to the book of Acts. Chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Um, if you forgot your Bible, your Bible's in the car, don't run out and get one. You don't need to. Um, we have placed a couple uh, just amongst the seats, and if you have a smartphone, um, your Bible app will get there probably even faster than flipping your fingers. So um, Acts chapter 4, we're in week 2 of our series called Collide, and the crux of this series, and we're going to be here for a while as we're kind of going through the book of Acts, is, is specifically what happens when a life collides with the risen Jesus. I mean, really, what happens? I'm not just talking about just like what happens like when we're in the same room and you see Jesus do something amongst other people or even just a spirit of worship when you come into a place and like you had just have an experience. I'm talking about when your life collides with Jesus, what happens? What should you expect to see out of your life? And should you be different? Should your life have a different meaning? Should your purpose be clearly defined? Would it change your relationships? And the answer to all of those things is what? Your smart church? Yes. Good. Let's pray. We're done. Let's go home. <laughs> but we were going we to be in verse uh, 13 in just a second. Uh, by way of, uh, I guess, just to launch us off, uh, just so we have some idea of where we have Gone last week, we talked about we have boldness because of the name of Jesus. And, and the very people um, who were ministering in that time, Peter and John, they were people who had obviously experienced Jesus. Uh, they had walked with Jesus, and they had seen Jesus go through his, his arrest and, and the trial and wrong, wrongly con, uh, being convicted and all of the things in Jesus' death. But those things weren't the things that changed him. That isn't the reason why Peter was different. That isn't the reason why John was different. It wasn't seeing all the miracles. It wasn't seeing Jesus suffer. It was to see Jesus after he resurrected. That is the very thing that shaped their, their life, that shaped their decision-making, shaped their whole purpose. It was the risen Jesus. We're going to see some things specifically in this text that I, I think will be incredibly beneficial. But I have to warn you, some of this is going to, come, it's going to seem like it, it just would fly over your head. So I'm, going to, I'm not going to talk as fast. Maybe. We'll see. And, and hopefully, I'll just allow the wave of this truth to just kind of engulf you and so you could just absorb what it is. Because I think if we were to get this right, your life can be drastically different starting today. I don't say that every week, but I believe if we go through and, we, and we, we dig into this and we kind of see what it is that God has for us, that you can be truly changed and you can live the life that you really want to live. Anybody want to live a changed life? Anyone? I think we all do. Several years ago, I, uh, I was in the Navy and, and I knew somebody who bought a brand new car. It was an amazing car. It, it was a Mitsubishi Eclipse. This was in um, in the 90s. In Mitsubishi Eclipse. Anybody know what those cars look like? Um, this this one specifically was very fast. So I loved this car. I like going in this car. Um, they had the the Mitsubishi GS, and then they had the Mitsubishi. 
I can't even say that. Mitsubishi GST. I already am talking too fast. So this was a GS. So it wasn't the turbo, but it was still very fast. And I remember when I was basically person brought the car and I'm looking at it and it was a shiny red, it was an amazing car and I'm looking, I'm totally envious of it and all this and I said, uh, well, man, how did you get this? And he said, I got it on a lease. And I was like, you got it on a lease? And he's like, yeah. He says, the amazing thing is I can just have this car for three years and I can bring it back and, and it's like I just pay for it and I bring it back and I can get another car and just turn it in and they give me another car and I just sign another lease. And I'm thinking, well, that's awesome. No, like I didn't think that was awesome. I'm thinking, really, at least I'm like, I, I, that's like a terrible decision. I started to ask ask him. I'm like, well, what were you thinking? Like, okay, you have this car and it's great. And he's like, yeah, I just have it for three years. He said there are certain things that I have to do. Like I have to uh, drive it twelve thousand miles or less every year for the next three years. And when I turn it in, there's no penalty, right? So that sounds awesome. That sounds great. And it was in, we lived in a big city, so there was a lot of driving to do. Year one, he'd put 20,000 miles on this car. Year one. And I've sat back, and you know, and he's not taking care of the car, and the car is getting a little bit raggedy. It was still a nice car, but it was kind of raggedy. And I found myself saying, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? You just got yourself into this agreement, this contract for three years with these stipulations, and and... The problem is, if he would go over the 12,000 a year, which is only 36, awesome, 36, no, 36,000 miles over that three-year span, everything would be fine. But if he goes over that, he gets penalized for every 1,000 miles. So he was already over almost 10,000 miles for the first year, and it only got worse from there on out. He couldn't get rid of that car fast enough. He couldn't get out of that contract fast enough. What was he thinking? But if we're honest, haven't we had moments that seemed like that ridiculous too? Where we go through and maybe we've, we've made some mistakes, we made some decisions, maybe we, we made some rash decisions, maybe we made some emotional decisions. Maybe it was just a decision of our choosing, and yet in hindsight, we sat back and said, what was I thinking who's ever done that just raise your hand this is confessional time everybody what was i thinking for some of you you had this you had this great job and it was a job that you thought had so much potential but you got angry one day and you just said you know what i'm done with this job and you let your emotions and you let your anger get the best of you and you went in and you quit that job and then two days later you sat back and said what was i thinking for some of you, you've made some, some relational errors and you've, you, maybe you, you were in a marriage or, or you were close to a marriage and you just, you just backed out of it. And yet you thought the person was the one and you, you were convinced at one time, but yet emotionally you just, you, you just had so much tension and so many feelings brought into it. And yet in a moment you just backed out of that relationship. And as soon as you backed out of it, you were, you were one step away from it. And what did you say? What was I thinking? Maybe for some of you, you've, you've made some financial mistakes too, where you bought a house and it, you know, it was the money pit. And it was like the whole nine yards. And, and you get into it and you get several thousand dollars into it and it's still uninhabitable. 
you know, and, and you just, you find yourself, you're like, yeah, this is going to be, this is my dream home. Just takes a little work, a little fixer upper. And yet you're five years deep into it. You're still not where you want to be with your house. And you sit back and say, what, what was I thinking? See, we've all done those things. We've all made just silly mistakes or we made, we made choices based off of outside circumstances and we sat back and we knew they were wrong. And unfortunately, many times we repeat the same mistakes. Don't we? We repeat the same mistakes and we get right back and we put ourselves in the same situation. I do, I, I've done a fair amount of counseling and it's amazing to me. You see people who have been in a marriage and they get out of a marriage for a certain reason. And usually there's not that many reasons. And all of a sudden, they get into another relationship, and they bring the same baggage from the prior relationship into the current relationship, and I sit back, and I don't say it out loud. I don't want to judge them. But in my mind, I'm, I'm saying what? What are you thinking? Like, are you not learning the lessons? See, as we get in here into this text, we're going to see four different things, and then the last one we're really, really, really going to bore down deep into. My hope is that in your life, that you will, you will eradicate those words. That you won't feel the sting of regret. You won't have the, the weight of guilt anymore. And that you won't sit back and say, what was I thinking? But instead, you can live a changed life. As we jump into verse 13, let me tell you, in case you weren't here uh, leading up into this, this is the movement of the early church, the book of Acts, um, or Acts of the Apostles, as your, as your Bible may say. This is, this is a historical account of what the Holy Spirit did with the first church, like the first century, early, purest expression of the church. This is what God did through His Holy Spirit in people. So I thought us as a church, what would be, I mean, that would be like the best thing we could do is go back to the purest expression of the church so that we could have that purest expression in our day and in our culture. Well, to do so, there's been some incredible things that have happened. Some people who were, they had walked with Jesus. I had mentioned the name Peter and John. They had walked with Jesus. Um, they, they saw the resurrected Jesus and their lives were changed. They received the Holy Spirit. It says on, on just a day of just, Weird stuff happened at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. You can read about it later if you want. Just weird stuff. Like the Holy Spirit came down. It was weird. People were changed. And automatically the, the movement of the church has just grown and grown and grown. It, it started with, with 12. It went down to 11 with the whole tragedy of Judas. It went to 12. Then it went to 120. Then it went to 3,000. And then it went to 5,000 in a matter of weeks. Not years. Weeks. That's what happens when a life collides with the risen Jesus. They're changed. Let's read our text. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Now this is, this is the Sanhedrin. This is the religious leaders. This is about 70 people in a room. When they saw the, the courage of Peter and John. The, the, very, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious ruling people, are the very people who saw to it that, that Jesus was crucified. So they're standing boldly in front of these people. So when, 
They saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took took note that these men had been with Jesus. Nothing special about these guys outside of Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name, and that is the name of Jesus. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. And the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There's just a little nugget at the back end. He was like, he was over 40. This person that was healed, like, here you go. So we see once again the boldness in the name of Jesus where they're, they're still standing before this, this ruling council, the Sanhedrin, 70 men, empowered by God to do something that they had no ability to do in and of themselves. Peter was once a coward, but now he's standing boldly in front of them. Let's look at what they did, and then maybe we can see some things that maybe we should apply to our lives. It says, when they saw, in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Point number one this morning is the boldness of a changed life brings courage. The boldness that comes from a changed life. These two men were changed. They were radically changed. And they they had courage when they had not had courage before. Before they were not, they weren't frontline people. They were behind Jesus. Of course, we know Peter was prone to blunder. We know that. And yet, all of a sudden, in this moment, the boldness of their changed life, it brought courage to them. For you, you may not feel courageous at all. Maybe, maybe you don't feel courageous and you think, you know what? It's just not my giftedness. It's not my personality. I want to tell you, it's not a matter of giftedness. It's not a matter of personality. Do you know the risen Jesus? Has your life been changed by Jesus? then you have the ability to be courageous in our day. In a day and age when the culture is surrounding us with darkness, we have to shine the light of Christ to it. Here's some I am statements that I just want to just wash over you. This is for the follower of Jesus. Some things that the Bible says about you. That you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. That you were created to do good works and that you are God's masterpiece. That He doesn't see you in fragments, bits and pieces. He sees you as whole. His redemption is real. 
He created you to be exactly who you are, and He doesn't make mistakes. Amen? You are a new creature if you're in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that. You are a new creature. You're a new person. We're going to talk more about this newness later. I, I, and you are a spirit being alive in God, is what it says in Romans 6.11 and 1 Thessalonians 5.23. That we are alive in God. We're not dead to our sins. We are alive in Christ. Also, it tells us in 2 Corinthians that if you're a believer, you have, you have the light of Christ shining in your mind, illuminating truth to you, shining in your mind. You're a doer of the word, and you're blessed in your actions when you faithfully obey, is what James 1, 22 and 25 says. You are, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves you. You are. If that doesn't strengthen your backbone, nothing else will, church. If you would understand that you are more than a conqueror in this life, you're not to just limp through this life, and you're not just, you're not just here just to pacify time until the time you die, and then you become useful somewhere else. It is this time. God has given you a backbone. He's given you, Christian, He's given you the Holy Spirit so you can be strong and courageous in our day. It's the boldness that comes with the, with the change, with the transformed life. It's a changed life. It gives you courage to do something that you cannot do on your own. Look at their lives. Look at Peter and John. They did not have this ability before Christ, but then after have this experience with the resurrected Christ, and they knew that what Jesus has said was real, and they knew His promises were real, and they had received His Holy Spirit, all of which we have if you're a Christian. You have every bit of that. It says in Revelation 12 and 11, it says that, that you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by your testimony. That you are an overcomer by the blood of Jesus. And by your testimony, it seals it. One of the, there's a song out on Christian radio right now. Um, I love this song. It, it, it's, it really speaks to me, and the, and the video behind it on YouTube is wonderful too. It's a song called Overcomer for Mandisa. Incredible, incredible song. Not only is, is the, the lyrics catchy, but just so much truth behind it. And you, you sit back, and, and many times I'll be in the Mitsubishi and just kind of let that song just kind of wash over me, or we'll be with our family, I just let that song wash over me. And that just strengthens me because I know that it's true. I know that that is based on truth, that I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror by the blood of Jesus, by my testimony that seals our relationship. And the same is said of you. But it takes more than just courage. It takes more than courage. There again, the boldness of a changed life it still leaves us with a choice. It still leaves us with a choice. Look in verse 18. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to, not to speak or, uh, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They feared that name. There's power in that name, and they knew it. And it was the same power that, that brought about the, the healing, the very thing that brought uh, 
Peter and John before the ruling council, but they knew that there was nothing they could do about it because the power was bigger than them. The power was, to them, they didn't understand the power, but they knew that the power existed. Even in the power of the healing, they said, we know this person is, has been healed and we cannot deny it. And yet, you see them going in there, he says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to teach or to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. You see, we have a choice in this. The boldness of a changed life still leaves us with a choice. Are we going to bring life into the world? Or are we going to bring death into the world? It's, not, it's, it's a very, very, very important decision. And yet, life is full of decisions. Is it not? We still have a choice. We're not robots. He still, we have to choose Jesus. We have to choose life. We have to choose the right words to say over our loved ones. We have to choose to go to work, right? We have to choose to actually use the Bible as more than just something to occupy space on our, on our coffee table. We have to choose to pick it up. We have to choose to believe it. We have to choose to utilize it as the sword of the Spirit that it says that it is. But we have to choose. So we can have courage. And I want you to have courage. I love you. I want you to be strong. I want you to have courage. But you still have a choice to make. You still have a choice to make. And it's not a, a, a choice of paper and plastic. Like that's kind, of, that's kind of how we treat our walk with Christ sometimes. It's like paper or plastic. Who cares, right? You, do you all remember the paper and plastic days? You don't have the option anymore. It's all plastic, right? Remember that? Okay, remember before there was paper and plastic and it was just paper? I remember that too. I really do. But we treat our life like that, our, our Christian life, like it's just paper or plastic. Who cares? I'm going to throw it away anyway. But we have to understand that the choices we make make a difference, and they change us. And we're made to be people who change others. And it comes down to the choices we make. It comes down to the choices we make, the things that you believe. Acting upon your emotions. Acting out of anger, that's a choice. Acting out of a bitter, just a bitter heart, that's a choice. Speaking, speaking ill words of other people, that's a choice. You're not a robot. There's not somebody pulling your strings, just you. We still have a choice. You can have all the courage in the world, but if you don't understand that you have a choice, we are called to do amazing things in this world, and we are created by Christ Jesus. We are an amazing workmanship. But if we don't allow, we don't choose to believe that, we will live our life, the Christian life, limping through it instead of running through it. We will live our life wondering, I don't know, what do I have in Jesus? Do I have anything in Jesus? I'm just not really sure. We have to choose to believe what he says about us is true. I love the firmness of, of Peter and John when they go before the, the ruling council. And they say, you know what? Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. You choose. You choose. But if we finish that thought, verse 20, he says, 
for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help. He says, you can choose, right? You can choose. But at the end of the day, it takes something else as well. The boldness of a changed life brings deep conviction. 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 It takes conviction to live the Christian life. I'm talking about holding your life to the principles that are guided and told about in this book. It takes conviction. It takes us understanding that it takes courage. It takes choices. It takes a bunch of choices. And yet we, those choices are to be founded upon the truths in this book and the God who wrote this book as a love letter to us. And because of that, we should have certain convictions in our life. Their convictions, because they had been with the risen Jesus, they said, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. It's like, you can do it yourself. You can do whatever you want. He says, you can believe what you, what you want to believe. But as for us, we have had this profound experience with Jesus, and it is an unshakable faith. I'll remind you, these very same people would actually die horrendous deaths because of the very truths that they're bringing forward right now. So it isn't like, like you know, a few days later they were a canon and said, nah, I was just kidding. Can I be one of you? They lived their whole life as enemies of their culture and the, the religious elite. They meant what they said. They lived the gospel that they're preaching. Do you? Do you? You see, that was their conviction. What are your convictions? What's the very core of which you have based your life around? Is it your job? Is it your identity? Is it, is it your ability to gather stuff? So let me tell you, those things, they're, they're, you know, they, they can be a lot of fun for a little while, but they don't last. And neither does the feeling once you have them. It doesn't last either. Your life is meant to be lived out in front of other people's, uh, other people, and, and the conviction of your life should be different than people who are outside of the faith. It should be different. Are you somebody who just kind of morphs with the crowd? You're like, you, you don't have to worry about being courageous because you're just like everybody else. And yet, you go through life and you don't even make a choice. You just kind of morph like everybody else. Do you, do you have convictions, like personal convictions, like my, my marriage, my relationships are founded upon these things. My, the way that I'm going to raise my kids is founded upon these things. And that's rock solid. That's a, those are convictions of your life. Or are you just like everybody else and just kind of like go with the flow? Fourth thing, same verse. It says, for we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. And this, I would say, the boldness of a changed life brings about a changed mind. The boldness of a changed life brings about a changed mind. That in your mind, you not only view life differently, but your life becomes something different because of the change that has happened in your mind. 
See, they're so strong in their convictions, and they've said, you know what, you can decide, you want to decide what you want to believe, you can do whatever you want to do, but as for us, this is, this is our life now. You can't change my mind, because I've been with Jesus. And I have to tell you, there is this onslaught in our culture surrounding, the darkness is surrounding people of faith, even in our day, wanting us to, to give way and not to be people of courage. Wanting us to just not choose and just fall to whatever the sifting, you know, the, just as the tides change, the cultural tides change about beliefs and morality. But it takes Christians and say, you know what? I am one with Jesus. And because of that, I have a boldness in my life. I have a transformed life, a changed life. And with that comes a changed mind. Now, I could stop right here, but I think I would do you an injustice because I've just given you a lot of tension and I've given you no way to resolve it. So I would like for us to go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. It's just to the right in your Bible, just a little bit. It's the next book over. How to have a changed mind. How to have a changed mind. How you can live your life and not sit back and say, what was I thinking anymore? That you would be able to go through and that you would, make, you would be able to make decisions and you would know some things about yourself and about who God wants you to be so you won't have those words. You won't have the, the regret and the guilt and the doubt anymore because you'd have a changed mind. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is... This is so, so incredible, and I have to really draw this out just for a moment. It says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You see, in the culture that this would have been written into, and with just the, the Jewish culture, they were used to basically killing animals for sacrificing it to, for the atonement of sins. So what Paul writes here is something that's just mind-boggling. He's like, no, 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 no. The point is not killing of an animal and sprinkling the blood. He says, no, no, no. Christians... He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters, Christians. He says, in view of God's mercy, which means the very thing that has set you free, the very thing that it should be driving you and giving you conviction, and that has, you have already chosen Him, is the very thing that should give you courage because you do this in view of God's mercy. Meaning it's compelling us to do something. He says, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This, Christian, is your spiritual act of worship. To live your life as a pleasing and holy sacrifice back to God. You can't just do that on Sunday morning. It's every day, all day. It's every day, all day. But we have to change our mind to be able to do it. Verse 2. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You know, it's interesting that the word conform means be like everybody else, right? It's like, to, to be like everybody else, it takes no intentionality. I can be like everybody else just by looking around and just being everybody else, right? Y'all get that? Like, I can just conform and just kind of say, oh, yeah, that's f- sure, and just like have a jello backbone, and I can just morph into this crowd and morph into that crowd. I, it doesn't take, you know, to have a jacked up marriage, it takes, it, it, all it takes is for you just to conform to the world around you. For you to, to have bad finances, all you have to do is just keep living your life just haphazardly, just conforming to the world. For you to have kids that, that abandon the faith and, and abandon you in later years, all it takes is for you to just conform to the world because it's all over the place, isn't it? Doesn't, it doesn't take anything special for that to happen. It just kind of happens. So we can conform to the world just by doing nothing. As a matter of fact, when we do nothing, we automatically conform to the world. But what does it say in verse 2? Does it say, hey, conform to the world. Be just like the world. Conform to the world. Be just like the world. You want to be like the world. You want to chase money. You want to chase women. You want to chase men. You want to have this. You want to have that shiny car. You've got to have the big house. And are you buying your clothes at Belk? Are you getting your clothes at, you know, at Goodwill? He says, yeah, come on. You want, to, you want to do all these things. You want to chase all these worldly things. He says, no, 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 no. Do not conform. Hmm. Any longer to the pattern of this world. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Which means this. Before you were a follower of Jesus, everybody was conforming to the pattern of the world. Everybody. It just happens. You just do it. But the latter half of verse 2 is where we're going to find a changed mind. After he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what it is that God wants you to do in your life? Have a changed mind. Have a renewed mind. But to do this, it requires you to not think like everybody else thinks. It requires you to have, to have courage because this is a fallen world. Amen? Do we agree with that? This is a fallen world. It takes people of faith to be strong and courageous. It takes us to have conviction about what we believe and why we believe it and who gives us the faith to believe. And yet we still have to choose Jesus and the truth about Jesus. And we have to have a changed mind. But to have a changed mind, it requires us to do things differently than everybody else. 
to spend our money differently than everybody else, to have a different kind of marriage than everybody else, to raise kids different than everybody else, to be a student that is different than everybody else, who's, who's willing to step out of, of the, the, the norm and say, you know what, I'm with Jesus, and because of that, I, I have a changed mind, and I know that's wrong, so I'm making a choice. And it's going to take courage, and it's going to take conviction, but I'm going to see it through. But it starts with your mind. Mind, is a, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Isn't it? Sometimes I think my mind is just a scary place. Yeah, I'm being serious. Sometimes my mind is just, I, I sit back and I think, man, I can't even believe I, I thought that. And I, I have a, maybe a, just a, a subtle reason why, and I'll, I'll try and help you with three different things. We've all been given a will. Ability to choose. We've all been given a will. We've all been given emotions. The ability to feel. And also what we allow those feelings to do. And also we've been given a mind. We've been given a mind. Right? We've all been given a mind. And, and it's, it's not only what we think, but also how we think. The amazing thing that has happened when you conform to the world and you're not, you're not being made new, you're not having a renewal of your mind, there's some, some profound things that happen in the life of every person. Because of what has happened with, with the original sin going all the way back to Genesis 3 and because sin as it comes into our life, and I don't need to convince you that you're a sinner. You know that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. You probably just think that other people are worse sinners than you. We could probably talk about that. And yet, because of the effects of sin, some interesting things have happened. Our will and our emotions are trying to supersede our minds. Our will, our, our ability to choose, are trying to, to, our will is trying to be the boss. And our emotions are trying to be the boss. How we feel and what we allow those feelings to do. They're trying to be the boss. Which is why when somebody does you wrong and your, your inclination, and it, you've probably done this, I've done this, shamefully. I preach this to myself. This isn't, I'm not coming, hopefully you don't understand or don't think that I'm somebody who's got this all figured out. But for us to have a renewed mind, we have to understand, okay, we all have a will and ability to choose. And we have emotions. And if we allow either one of those things to drive our life, it is basically taking the place. It is, it is taking the wheel of your life over your mind. And our mind was supposed to be the very, the, the very central place of which we would base all our decisions and our understanding. And all of a sudden, our feelings, our emotions have robbed the truths that we know. Which is the very reason why we go through and we say... What was I, what? It's the same thing that you realize after the fact. And that you get in those, those patterns over and over and over again. And you sit back and say, what was I thinking? It's because your will and your emotions took the, the, the wheel of your life and they were taking you on a crash course. When it was always supposed to be your mind. Which is why it says in verse 2 that we have to have a renewal of our mind, which is just another way of saying a changed mind. So that we live our lives 
differently. But I'm going to close with this, close with the story. A friend of mine, when I was in the Navy, he had a 67 Chevelle. It was an amazing car. It wasn't a fast car. It actually had a straight six. It was not fast at all. And he actually painted the car canary yellow. Don't know why, but he did. But he had, he had the 67 Chevelle, and it was it was a just a pretty car. It was a long car. And he did all of his own body work himself. And we both lived in apartment complexes, and he would drag all of his mess out in the apartment complex into, into the parking lot in front of his apartment and just have stuff spread out everywhere. And every once in a while, he'd let me go over there and get in his way because that's all I did. I had no idea what I was doing. But he was doing all kinds of body work. And it was interesting because as I would sit there and I would look at him, or look at, at the fenders, and he was taking away um, the rust, and he would grind down the rust, and then he would, he would go through and he would, he would pour water over the car to make sure that, 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 it was, that, that the whole body line was straight. And then he would go through and then he would, he would grind off the rust, and then he would take this and he would find another place that had, had some rust, and he would go through and he would take care of it. And every time he saw rust, he, he grinded it away. He took off everything that was old and everything that was corroded, everything that needed to be changed before he put something new on, like paint, like primer, and in that car, some Bondo. My point is this. You can't put on anything new and think it's going to last if you don't peel off all the old. You can't. If you wonder why you don't have a renewed mind, it's because you're allowing, you're allowing your will and you're allowing your, your emotions to drive you. And, and now you have to peel that away and make even your mind, even your will, even your emotions surrender to Jesus and to his word. That's what you have to do. You can't expect to have a renewed mind and just... Kind of keep doing the same thing you've always done just like everybody else. And you come in and maybe you even hear a message like this, whether it's here or online. And you hear a message and you're like, wow, that's great. And you take really good notes and you have amazing handwriting. And you've just got all of the sermons and a whole collection of bulletins in your Bible. And everything's great. And you could be the, the best student. But if you haven't peeled off the old credit in your life, you will never allow the new to really shine through. Because the amazing thing I found out about that car is if you don't grind all the rust away, even if you even if you if you you take it away and you have just a little bit of rust and then you put bondo over it and then you paint it and you do all the things you do, it can look great. But what's going to happen? It's going to come right back through, and it's going to be like you didn't do anything at all. You can't put on the new unless you peel off the old. And it requires you to think differently, to live differently, to have courage, to make the choice, be a person who lives by conviction. So then you can have that changed mind. Let's pray. Lord God, we just honor you on this day. Lord, I ask that you would just allow just the the hard truths that we've learned today just to really just to seep down deep into us. 
And Father, you know as well as I do, I've been preaching this message to myself for a while. And God, I pray just even personally that you would just, that you would show me what the old things are that I need to peel away. And just allow you to do the works before I, I, I put on the new, that I can really be renewed. God, I want to make sure all of that old stuff is peeled away. The way that I used to conform to the world and I used to do what everybody else does. I used to think like everybody else does. I used to spend my money like everybody else does. I used to have a marriage just like everybody else does. I used to think about raising my kids just like everybody else does. Allow us to be bold, to make the right choice, to be people of conviction, and God, to be free because we are more than conquerors. We just praise your holy name. Amen. Thank you.